Hey, thanks so much for checking out this episode of Golf Strategy School. Now, I know you're listening because you want to learn how to play better golf. But if you want to see how you compare to other golfers your age, you need to check out parforsuccess.com slash Griffin. That is par, the number four, success.com slash Griffin, G-R-I-F-F-I-N. And what it will do is it will actually give you a free assessment where you can see exactly how you measure up against other people your age. And you can see where you're excelling, where you need to focus your time on. And this is an assessment, honestly, that you can take once a month just to see how you're progressing throughout your golf journey. So again, check out parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see how you measure up against other golfers your age. Hey everybody, Marty Griffin here, and you are listening to the Golf Strategy School podcast, the only podcast designed for golfers who are either new to the game or still kind of struggling with getting over those milestone scores of breaking 90 or breaking 100. Today we're going to talk about, and sorry to say it this way, but we're going to be talking about the three biggest reasons that you suck at golf. (laughs) Let's talk about it. Do you love to play golf? Do you wish you could be a more consistent and confident player? Well, you're in the right place. This is the Golf Strategy School podcast, where we discuss specific practice strategies used by some of the best golf instructors from around the world. Here's your host, Marty Griffin. All right, so for most people, you know, when we look at higher handicap golfers kind of as a broad spectrum, we can see a lot of mistakes and a lot of errors coming from three different things with golf. And just for the record, right off the top, I am going to throw out and not even consider the amount of practice that someone does. Now, the reason I say that is because we all know that if you want to be really good at something that you have to practice at it. So just because you don't have a lot of time or a lot of money to practice, that that is a influencing reason why you suck at golf. But Everybody knows that they could do more in that realm. So I'm not even going to have that on the list. That is way too obvious. That would be number one. But, you know, we're just going to kind of throw that out for the sake of conversation. These are more like under the radar things. So one of them is still in that practice realm. It's not how much you practice, but rather just flat out how you practice. Now, I I interviewed a, a great PGA instructor by the name of Will Robbins, And he said one of what I think is the absolute best lines I've heard when it comes to golf. And what he did is he asked me, what, I just want you to finish this phrase, practice makes, so I'll put it to you, practice makes what? Did you say perfect? That's incorrect. That's what I said. I said practice makes perfect. Practice in golf makes permanent, okay? So what I mean here and why people practicing incorrectly is one of the biggest reasons most higher handicappers suck at golf is because what they do is they go to the driving range, which is totally fine and very much encouraged, but they go to the driving range and they hit seven iron 30 or 40 times in a row until it starts going straight. And the problem is that when you hit one club over and over and over again, which is what I call rake and fire. When you do that, you're training your brain that it's okay to get it right on the third time, 
or the fifth or the seventh or the tenth. When in reality, out on the golf course, we got to get it right the first time, okay? It's that easy. It's being more intentional about your practice. Now, I don't want to just say, hey, here's the three reasons you suck at golf. I want to provide you ways to actually help get better in those in those realms. So if you are going to the driving range, you need to find a way to make practice harder than the actual game out on the course. And the reason being here is because if we can if we can make our practice routine harder than what we do out on the course, it is going to make us feel more relaxed, more comfortable, more confident when we actually do go out on the course. So what I like to do is stuff called failure-based practices. So you could set whatever your routine is. Maybe it's to work your way through your entire bag with one swing for each club. And then if you stumble along the way, then you have to start over. Think of it like a basketball player who has to shoot and make a hundred free throws before they can leave the gym. That's essentially what we're doing. We don't get to be done with a practice until we have done it all these different times correctly. Now, if you've listened to the show for any period of time, you know I'm a huge fan of ladder drills. You can Google them, look them up. Uh, ladder drills are things like, hey, you have to hit the ball and land it in this zone. And then it has to roll and finish in this other zone. And you need to do this 10 times. And you have to be able to do it at least 30% or more for a success rate. And then once you get good at landing it in that zone and stopping it in your scoring zone, then you change the zone so you have to land it somewhere else. And what you can do is you can just work through this time after time after time. And really, if you want to challenge yourself, rather than doing it 10 times, you got to do it once. So you could do, this is something that I've done in the past, you know, check with your greenskeeper first. They might have issues with this, but I, in my golf bag, I have a construction chalk line. So what I'll do is I'll take a tee and I will uh, pin down one end of the chalk line, run out the chalk line, and then I will snap a line that is maybe three feet onto the green. And then I'll do that again, five feet away. And then again, five feet away. And what I'm doing is I'm creating these little zones where I have to land the ball. And then I have to stop it within whatever your distance of choice is of the cup. So five feet, that's usually what I do. Five feet short or five feet long, because I know if I can stop it within five feet, I'm probably going to make that putt. And so I will have gotten up and down. So what I'll do is I'll I'll lay out three zones. Let's say this is a, a 30-foot expanse between the cup and the edge of the green. I'll I'll go out there three feet onto the green. I'll do my chalk line. I'll go five feet further, do my chalk line, five feet further, do my chalk line. So now I've got essentially half of the way there has these different landing zones. And what I'll do is I will say, all right. I need to land my shot in that first three feet before that first chalk line, and it has to release all the way out to within five feet of the cup. If I do that on my first shot, then I move to the next zone. I have to land it between three and eight feet onto the green, and again, release it to within five feet. If I did that, then I get to move on. If I didn't do that, I have to start back over, and I have to do that three-foot line again. 
So you can see where it can get really, really hard to finish this type of practice. And when we're out on the course, we've only got to do it once. There's way less pressure, way less kind of angst over that shot. You don't feel your knees knock as much because back on the practice green, you were working on all these crazy different landing zones and controlling the ball flight and altitude and getting it to stop in all these different circumstances. So not only does that teach you to play really well under pressure, but what that also does is it really gets you into a mode of kind of creativity. So you know that if you have to land it in the first three feet, you have to use a, a steeper lofted club. So you might be doing a bump and run shot with like a six, seven, eight iron, maybe nine iron. Well, if you're going the next, you know, that three to eight foot zone, this might be a nine iron or a pitching wedge, still kind of bump and run. If you have to do between the eight and the 13 foot zone, if you have to fly that ball at least eight out of the 30 feet, it's going to be a higher lofted club. Maybe it's a sand wedge that you're hooding just a little bit. So what it does is it really teaches you a lot of creativity. That way, when you're in these circumstances out on the course, it's something you've done before. You're going to be so much better at kind of coming up with the right shot in the spot, in the moment, that it's definitely going to help you, I mean, getting up and down, obviously a ton. But that's what we're talking about is different types of like ladder drills or failure-based practices. That's how you're making practice harder than the game. If I go out on the course and I have a, you know, a cup that's 30 feet away from the green or from the fringe and I'm, you know, just a foot or two off, I know that even if I don't do it perfectly, I can look at all the conditions around me and decide, hey, which of those practice shots that I was working on would be best here? Which would be the least catastrophic result? Hint, it's always bump and run. But what we're doing then is we're hitting the shot, even if it's not perfect and it doesn't land within the five foot circle. It's probably within an eight foot circle at the most, maybe 10 feet. And I still then have a chance of making my putt. So that's what we're talking about in terms of making practice more difficult than the actual game. Now, the second thing, the second reason why you suck at golf is because really when it comes down to it, you don't know how far your clubs go. This is a huge problem for people of all skill levels. And I really do mean all skill levels. Normally I speak specifically to people who are higher handicaps, but I'll tell you, this is, you know, this is a problem that a lot of eight, 10 handicap players have as well. Hell, six, five, six handicap players probably still have this issue as well. What I'm talking about is you don't know how far your club goes is really what it comes down to is you have an unrealistic expectation in yourself. You believe that that one perfect shot, that beautiful, holy, exactly center shot that you hit once is what's supposed to happen every time. And the fact of the matter is it's not. You need to make golf about having the best bad shot and not the best good shot. We all know that our good shots are going to be amazing. But when it comes down to it, having the best bad shot is way more important than having the best good shot. Because everybody's on the same essential tier when it comes to having the best good shot. When it comes to having the best bad shot... That is where we separate the wheat from the chaff. So when we, when we want to work on this, especially for, you know, kind of learning 
how to judge our distances. Um, again, super secret. Just take another club. You'll be so much better off at a club. But that's not really the point here. What I want you to do is I really want you to have a good, thorough understanding of how far your clubs go. This is how we do it. On the driving range, I want you to kind of go with whatever that kind of gut feeling is on how far the club goes. And I want you to laser a distance out on the driving range and find something that is roughly that length away. Then what I want you to do is kind of give yourself a scoring zone, like a green light, hey, we're safe zone. That is five yards short and five yards long. So if your ball lands anywhere in that 10-yard window, you're good to go, you're golden. And the reason why I say five yards short and five yards long is because you need to be, as a higher handicapper, you need to be aiming at the middle of the green every single time, no matter what. All right? So if we are five yards short and we're aiming from the middle of the green, guess what? We're still on the green. If we're five yards long and we were aiming at the middle of the green, there's still a really good chance that you're on the green and you're still putting. You don't have to chip. So that's why I say five yards short, five yards long, you're good. But then what we want to do is we want to hit 10 shots with this club. And you want, you know, this isn't our max, you know, Remax World Long Drive Championship swing. This is our controllable swing, probably 70 to 80% power. And I want you to go ahead and hit 10 shots that way and just measure which zone they land in. Do they land in that, hey, we're right on zone? Do they land long? They probably don't. <laughs> do they land short? They probably do. Track that. If you hit 10 shots and six of them land in that zone, chances are you know how far your club goes. But did they land in the front part of that zone? Or did they land on the back part of that zone? Because... If they all land on that front part of the acceptable safe zone, then that might tell you that that full distance that you were assuming might not truly be the length of the club. That might be your max distance. So, for example, with a 8-iron, I hit my 8-iron about 155 yards. So, if I do my 10 yards long, 10 yard, or my five yards long, five yards short, and I hit 10 shots and six of them land in that acceptable, but on the short side zone, which they probably would, then what I'm being told by this data is that my eight arm probably doesn't go 155. It probably on average goes a lot closer to 150. So what I would then do is I would say, Hey, okay, so 150 is my Nice 75%, 80% type of swing. It's the one that I feel like I can control the most. My maximum distance is probably closer to that 155 amount. And then my half swing distance is probably in the 145 to 150 range. So this will give us kind of three different modes that we can use our club and gives us a lot more flexibility on the course in terms of what to hit when. And it also helps us kind of be more consistent in terms of actually getting the ball to the green. 99% of the people end up short. They don't end up long because if you think about it, if we have this kind of preconceived notion in our head that our best shot goes 155 yards with an eight iron, 
and that is what we are going to play every single time. We need to hit that shot perfectly to produce that result. That is not a good statistical process to rely on. So instead of leaning on that perfect shot to produce that result, let's kind of scale it back and assume that if we hit the shot, not even poorly, but just not perfect, then it might be 152 or 154, something like that, rather than assuming that it's all or nothing, this has to be perfect. When we hit shots poorly, whether they're heavy, whether they're toed, healed, things like that, most of the time we are not transferring the energy as well into the golf ball, so we're going to wind up short. The only circumstance I can think of where it's the opposite is if you thin the ball. You know, if you've got a real flyer of a lie and you catch a little thin, in that circumstance, it might go long. But that is not the majority of the poor shots, of the not perfect shots. So, you know, when we talk about kind of back to that number two point of, hey, you don't know how far your clubs go. You have this unrealistic expectation in yourself. It's all about kind of proving that data out for yourself. No one can do it aside from you unless you go and, you know, you pay to be wedge gapped and you go through all of your process on a track man and stuff like that. That's fine. You can do it that way. That's just the expensive way. I'd rather do it with a bucket of balls on the driving range. Find my length, lay out that scoring zone, and then just track how many were short, how many were in, how many were long, and that'll tell you how far the club goes. So number three reason why you suck at golf is because you have a a hard time letting go of bad shots and bad holes. Now, this comes down to something that most people know about, but a lot of people just conveniently dismiss, but you have to have some type of routine. A lot of people have a pre-shot routine. A lot less people have a post-shot routine. Now, for me, I have both. If you have a pre-shot routine, you should be able to just straight out say it and know exactly what it is at the moment's notice, and it doesn't ever, 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 under any circumstance whatsoever, change. Never. For real. Don't change it. But you need to be able to actually stick to that plan every single time. So for me, stand behind the ball. I do all my my distancing, stand behind the ball, find my target, very small, specific target, I imagine what I want the ball to do while it's in the air, and then once it hits the ground where I want it to roll out to, I take my practice swing, just trying to think tempo and target while I'm behind the ball looking at the target. I then find my intermediate mark, line up my club face to the intermediate mark, take my stance. I usually say under my breath one more time. Sometimes I say it not so under my breath, but I always say it out loud one last time what I want that shot to do, and I swing. That's my pre-shot routine. Doesn't matter if your routine is the same as mine or not. It just matters that you have a routine and do the same thing all the time. Now, for a post-shot routine, you need a way to kind of just kind of close the books on what just happened. Kind of keep yourself looking forward rather than being stuck with what just happened behind you. For me, my post-shot routine is way simpler than my pre-shot routine. So depending where I am, whether I'm taking a full swing or if I'm on the greens... Uh, my my post-shot routine changes. So full swing, my post-shot routine is the next 20 steps. I'm allowed to think whatever I want to think about that shot to you know mentally roll it over in my head for 20 steps. And then it's done, 
and it's time to focus on whatever's next. If I'm on or around the green, I don't usually have 20 steps to take, so I cut it down to 15 or 20 seconds. So I give myself, you know, essentially like an exaggerated 10 count to either think about what I did wrong, be pissed off about it, be super excited about it, but then it's time to get into our head on what is coming next. It's that easy. Having a post-shot routine and a good solid pre-shot routine is the way to kind of leave those bad holes, those bad swings, those bad shots behind us, but you have to stick to it. This does nothing if you do it sometimes. You need to do it every single time without exception, all right? So, I hope you like this episode. I don't mean to be kind of curt and say that you suck at golf, but if you're struggling, chances are one of these three things is a huge cause of one of those issues. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you think this is going to help you, if you liked it, I'd really appreciate the like. If you're listening on, if you're watching on YouTube, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, your podcatcher of choice, hey, make sure you subscribe there as well and leave me a review. And in the review and in the comments here on YouTube, why don't you tell me this? Just in real short order, just very briefly tell me what your pre-shot routine is. I look forward to seeing them, everybody. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to let me know. I'm always around. Until next time, everyone, I'll catch you in the short grass. Cheers. All right, thanks for listening to this episode of Golf Strategy School. As always, if you want to keep it in the short grass, all you got to do is put those lessons into effect. And if you want to see exactly how you fare in terms of your physical performance to other golfers your age, head over to par4success.com slash griffin, and you'll be able to see exactly where you line up and match up with other golfers your age based off of the this free performance assessment that Chris and his team has put together. Again, that's parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see exactly how well you line up against all their golfers your age. And I'll just drop a link to it in the show notes.